Welcome to GM Mastermind, a tabletop RPG podcast for game masters that want to hone their craft. Each episode features a panel of game masters known as the Brain Trust. In this episode, we will be discussing how to run horror and suspense RPGs. Introducing the Brain Trust for this episode. Bridget Jeffries. Bridget has been game mastering for over 13 years. Her favorite RPGs to play right now include Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu Dark, and Alien, the RPG. She heads up Symphony Entertainment, a gaming club company that focuses on horror games, indie RPGs, organic content, and player agency. She is a part of Chaosium's community ambassador team for their community content programs, as well as the co-host of Miskatonic University podcast. Welcome Caleb Stokes. Caleb has GMing for 13 years. The RPGs he's game mastered the most include Delta Green, Red Markets, his own creation, and 2018 Any Award nominee for Best Game, and a clip phase. He's currently enjoying Raccoon Sky Pirates by Chris Sellers. He heads up his own RPG publishing company, Hebanon Games, and runs Delta Green live streams. I'm Sean. I'm the host of the show. Having a 15-year break from RPGs, I've been GMing on and off since 2003. I've been podcasting in the RPG space for more than seven years. Currently, I'm reviewing Blade Runner, Impossible Landscapes, a Delta Green scenario, and Midnight Campaign setting for 5th edition. Now, let's get on with the show. Bridget Jeffries, Caleb Stokes, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of GM Mastermind, where we're going to be talking about horror and suspense. And I wanted these two specifically to join me because Bridget, like in the intro, has done work with Miskatonic University podcast and has worked for Chaosium. She's got Symphony Entertainment that's really based on a lot of horror genre. And then Caleb Stokes has done Red Markets, as well as a plethora of Delta Green work. Thank you so much for being here. It's an honor. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Being game masters and running horror and suspense, I mentioned right before we hit record that it's not always about running Call of Cthulhu or Delta Green. So it, it can be, it's not that episode necessarily, though I think those types of games, you know, Ten Candles, Dread, can facilitate that's the genre that's kind of what you're signing up for but at mm-hmm. the same time we don't want to alienate the D fifth edition players that want to incorporate horror and suspense in a 5e game which you can which you can do or maybe you can't do i don't know bridget thoughts on that yeah uh i think it can be done um Different approaches. Uh, This is my spaghetti at the wall opinion on horror. I believe that horror systems that are geared towards horror, where the actual mechanics are geared around it, are a little more more focused on increasing the player tension. So like Call of Cthulhu has the sanity mechanic. So you're watching your character quickly dissolve. That's built into the system. Dread, which is one of my very, 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 very happy places, has a Jenga tower. So while you're interacting with the story horror, you're physically pulling blocks out of a tower. Again, from a system standpoint, it's adding that tension, that suspense in there because you see players with their hands shaking like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I really need to break into this door, but I'm scared to pull this tower. The whole table is tense. Same thing with Alien. They have the panic mechanic where, you know, panic can just, you know, uh, take control of your character, take over your agency and do things for you. So when you're dealing with horror systems, you kind of have almost like a cheat code because it's built into the mechanics to help you along. I think if you're running horror without a system that caters to horror, it leans more on the GM and more on the buy-in and I'll say immersion of the players to get the horror out. So you don't have the cheat code and the mechanics that help drive it. Again, bridges spaghetti at the wall. Uh, But you can do it in other systems. I got my start in running horror on Pathfinder. I wanted horror and that's the only system I knew at the time. So we did some creepy ass Pathfinder. It 100% can be done. I just think horror systems make it a little bit easier because they give you a crutch to lean on. Yeah. Caleb, have you run horror in a non-horror-based game? Uh, yeah, I, I've done a lot of noir uh, in a dirty Ooh. world and things of that nature. Um, I, I have not run it in anything high fantasy, but I would agree with uh, your analysis of it. The mechanics 
um, make it easy if the person is afraid of losing, winning the game. Mm. Um, Ooh, good articulation. Uh, but um, if, like, you're playing Delta Green or Call of Cthulhu, I'm sure you know I do not start a game of that looking to win the game. <laughs> I, I start to die in an interesting way or to go insane in a fun way. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're playing something fantasy-wise, you do have to have that sort of um, decrease in agency and that, that powerlessness that, that horror breeds off of. Um, and I think to do that, you got to have stakes. And that's why I would agree that it's entirely on the GM. You got to care about what you're losing. Uh, otherwise, it's, you know, yeehaw, Leroy Jenkins uh, started by <laughs> fantasy gaming. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, now I like best when games, you know, speaking of Delta Green, I, I like the bond system. I like best, you know, that's another horror mechanic, but mm -hmm. I do feel that's a mechanic that makes stories, which is the best kind. Um, so, yeah, you got to have something to lose in the first place um, mm -hmm. other than like, oh, no, we didn't get the gold uh, or NPC I just met did not survive. Oh, no. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would say that uh, other than that, uh, you can do it in any system. Yeah. What is, what is the I mean, the big I think question is there you run a horror game. What? Did, let me ask you this. <clears throat> What are your experiences with the spectrum of players and games that you've run and the ones that have failed in the horror and suspense space? Why do they fail? Caleb, you want to go first? <laughs> I, I fail more than I succeed, so I, I feel eminently qualified to speak on this question. Um, the first thing would be that sort of, if they're in there for the power fantasy, that is a communication problem before the game started. Um, that's not really a failure of the scenario. You just didn't have a session zero or sure. talk to your players. Um, but uh, aside from that obvious stuff, I think it's like, for me, where it fails and where I fall down is when I, um, I believe it's all about reification. Like, I, I think horror is ultimately abstract for most cases, or at least it's abstract to the point where you want to do it at the table. Like, I'm all fine if we sit around the table and role play through our fear of death because none of us understand it. Like, we, we've seen known people that died. Like, we're scared of it because we're animals. Mm -hmm. But I understand about much of it as everybody else does because none of us have done it. Um, like, and it's all about reifying those details. So you're taking an abstraction, a, a concept that cannot be grasped uh, or, and if, if it's not, it doesn't have to be death in, in my game, it's capitalism. Uh, you know, like you're taking an abstraction, a thing that people can't really grasp with and trying to achieve catharsis by dealing with it. And you've got to do that through the details. And so what I found is that like when I failed to get people invested or horrified in it, other than the fact that they're never like on board in the first place, or I haven't established the stakes, it's always because I haven't found that detail that makes it real for them. Like, um, I, when I ran God's Teeth, there's, like, horrific murders, and I'm not going to get too far into it, and, like, graves and stuff. Um, but I got the players to shut up and not look at their phones and freak out when I brought out the hair dryers that they use to free unfreeze the ground before they start digging. And then they were like, why do they have a PVC, like, pipe set up with industrial hair dryers in a rough how often do they do that and like from that they just like spiraled and then they were doing it themselves like I hadn't I hadn't done anything in the house yet I hadn't described anything that was in there like just the second like they put that much thought into it what are we about to walk into then they were then they were running the scenario by themselves and then they scared themselves um and that's what it works but uh when it doesn't work and I've done all the the due diligence it's normally because I haven't found that that one element yet that makes them uh, start the anxiety spiral that would be in a suspense situation. Yeah. Beautifully articulated, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um, piggybacking off of what Caleb said in the very beginning in regards to setting the expectation on the front end or that session zero, I think that is absolutely imperative. Um, I see a massive wave, especially in the uh, like that 20,000 person Call of Cthulhu group on Facebook where they're coming in and saying, I'm coming in from D&D &D and we're going to try horror for the first time. Um Horror is not a one-shoe-fit-all type of situation. The horror is tailor-fit uh, based on the setting, based on the system, based on the GM, based on the player. So there's a lot of uh, areas where you can trip and fall between all of that. And like Caleb said, it's really important on the front end to go, hey, guys, 
prime example. This is a prime example that I can sum this up beautifully. The Rules of Cthulhu Dark, written by Graham Walsley. It flat out says, if you attack the mythos, you die. If you encounter a, myth, a mythos entity, the only two options you have are hide and flee. If you attack it, you die. Saying that up front to players, like this is the type of game you're going in. You're not going to beat the mythos. You can't nuke it. You can't fight it. You can't drown it. You can't outsmart it. You need to flee or you need to hide. Sets the mindset of like, oh, so I'm going to sit down for four hours and just enjoy dying slowly and losing sanity. Got it. All right. That's what type of game this is. So setting those expectations, I think, is really important on the front end. Caleb also flirted with this one, and I'm just going to double down on it, that I see a lot of gaps where horror fails is buy-in. If I'm playing a high fantasy game, I can throw a 16D whatever fireball at a dragon and maybe lose my character. But it's okay. I can get resurrected with a $5,000 stone and blah, blah, blah. When you're in horror, um, you're much more vulnerable. Um, that's psychologically. That's physically. Um, but also, you walk into the situation not expecting to win. And then you just kind of start flirting with the lines from there. So buy-in is really, really important. Do your characters have an emotional investment to the story? Do they have emotional investment to themselves? Do they have any type of buy-in? Do they have a sense of this is what's on the line to risk? That's been my experience at least so far. And basically, I'm just piggybacking off of everything Caleb said because it was yeah. really good. Yeah, and I think you were going <laughs> to – I was waiting for you to um, mention the word steaks that he mentioned. Oh, yeah, steaks. Yeah, right? Steaks. steaks. Tasty steaks. <clears throat> tasty steaks. For the non-vegetarians out there, we're not referring to meat. So there you go. Um, There's eggplant steak and pineapple steak. Is there? They have options. Interesting. Yeah, watermelon steaks. I just threw them on the grill the other day. It was great. Interesting. That's a whole other podcast. Sorry. Apparently. <laughs> foodie, foodie podcast. Foodie podcast. In the next hour. <laughs> but steaks is an interesting one. And how do you as a game master provide stakes and maybe that's part of the mechanics of the game, but you guys have examples of how to implement those or to emphasize those that it, to kind of make sure that the horror and suspense is there or shows itself, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I think mechanically games that do uh, there, I think there are games that have mechanics for this kind of thing. Uh, I, I tried to build it into red markets with uh, your dependents. You, you don't go out and do terrible things for money for fun. You do it because someone's going to starve if you don't. Um, and then Delta Green has done it with bonds, and many, many systems have done it. Uh, I, Trail has a number of things in there. Uh, I think Night's Bike Agents has systems in it for it. Um, giving people NPCs that they're um, invested in is a good mechanical way to do it. Um, otherwise, I, I think it kind of occurs naturally if you let it. Like a lot of my Delta Green games, like the funniest things I've ever had that have ever happened to me in gaming are Delta Green games because I have a very dark sense of humor. Um, but um, the longer your character makes it and the more they change and you become invested as a result of them working through this, like you do find the jokes kind of dying on the vine as you go through a campaign, even if you haven't like set up the stakes perfectly as people become more and more invested in the situation. Um, but I, I mean, the, the way that Delta Green does that is not for everybody because people die frequently. Like, and you're just sitting there and I know player death is a is a pretty controversial mechanic in a board game, not to mention an RPG where you've Facts. you know you know built the character based off you and all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, there is something at at stake, which is what I regard there. Um, but I think it kind of occurs naturally over time. I think the hard part is is like sometimes you don't have that amount of time. It's a one shot, or you're just doing a little mini campaign, and then it becomes a matter of like you know, finding what that character is interested in and getting them hooked faster. Like I have a, I have a character who will do anything for a robot. If I can have a setting where there is a robot in it and it's cute and needs help, he will drag himself through glass across hell to save the cute little robot. I can get him to do whatever he wants as long as I just go beep, boop, beep, help me. Like it, that's, that's all it takes. Um, like, uh, and your characters have those things too. You just got to learn what they are. Yeah. That was one of my cheap ways of doing horror when I was first learning it. Um, it's probably a reflection of my own control issues, too, and probably some insecurity and self-doubt. But all of the original, and I still do this now. I am who I am. 
um, all of my characters for one shots come with backstories and their backstories come with um, if the system doesn't give me mechanical help, like aliens has your rivals and your buddies and these really sexy little agenda cards that kind of help you, you know, buy in, keep you focused on a certain prize and keep you moving. Um, signature items that you can interact with that tie into your backstory. There are sexy things that are mechanically available, but I literally in the very beginning and still today, I write up a lot of my characters. So they have immediate buy-in the second a player picks up and reads the sheet. Uh, they either have some form of grief or regret or some, you know, um, um, unapologetic desire to apparently help the robot, even if they're going <laughs> to crawl through their belly on glass and go through hell. That was an <laughs> awesome description, by the way. Um, it helps. Uh, if the players buy in and actually sink their teeth into what I've given them, one, it helps me drive the story better because I can write little things that give their characters time to shine and things that really hurt and break their character. But they have something immediately. So at a convention setting, they can go, OK, so my character has a cocaine addiction. They're desperately obsessed with their little brother. Do anything for him and go. OK, I can work with that if the player bites into it, takes it and runs. So you can help with the stakes on the front end if you're intentionally about writing it in. I have struggled in transparency with a lot of uh, printed scenarios where they just kind of give you, hey, there's no investigators. It doesn't matter who they are. Here's the buy-in or here's not here's the buy-in. Here's the, the scenario. It's like, I mean, I don't even care about that girl's murder suicide. <laughs> why, why would my investigators care? OK, let me. I, what? Why would they why would they follow that clue trail? Who, why does the boxer care about what's going on in that mental asylum? Some people can navigate it. Bridget mm -hmm. with her control issues like, no, I need to write up a reason why this matters to them. So you do that in the uh, in the character's backgrounds? or I do. Yep. To I write okay. it up in the character's background. And you can do it as succinctly as one of my favorite methods that I learned from a friend, Tyler, if you're listening, this is you, uh, is three character adjectives. Uh, one big thing that they're really going for and one thing that they're kind of like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. All the way down to like a half page write up. Just something that a player can pick it up and go, oh. I know this person. I can relate to this person. I can dive into this person. And here are the little nuggets that Bridget is going to tease me with to run me through this four hours. You do. Do you don't allow the the player character to come up with any of those or, or if I'm doing players or coming up with it, that's a whole session zero thing. That's okay. me sitting down doing the questionnaire, asking you to fill out your sheet. What are you looking for? What do you need? Those are going to be my more longer form games. We'll leave that to the players. Again, Bridget's, control issues if i wrote the module or if i'm running a module i want that immediate buy-in so that's one thing i don't have to worry about in the background got it i'm not saying that it has to be everyone's method but that is for sure Bridget's. well and that's a good point there's a difference between running a one-shot horror game and, mm -hmm. and a longer term campaign you know like impossible landscapes i'm starting to kick that off soon and yeah have you have you run it or read it no, but I desperately want to. So it sounds like you're going to run this for me soon. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. <laughs> Bridget, I would love to have you on. I got like five players. It might be tough. Uh, we'll see. I'm here. I'm here when you're ready. You have five players for now. For now. For well, that's, now. that's a good point. I actually wanted four and I got five because I think we might have this, the summer holiday. You know, I've got a couple folks that are faculty so the fall oh, season might be tough school convention season yeah so if one falls off one dies one you know gets committed player characters is what i'm referring oh, to not the, right not, not, the, not the players right <laughs> so you know it may may be that um that may be the case so <laughs> having said that in the beginning of impossible landscapes it talks about the the ebbs and flows like Detweller does a pretty good job of framing up you know um actually there's one page that tells you kind of like normalcy and how you convey that in you know a very general high level not a big deal it's kind of routine blah if you want to instill some suspense these are the types of things that you say things slow down details become more apparent it's mm -hmm. really super awesome do you know what i'm referring to caleb uh yes i i have i wrote part of impossible landscapes a very hey. tiny part but yeah i did a quite a bit of editing on processes of that but so that page um, i know i'm i'm getting it a little skewed but can you elaborate on some of those components because i think it can be carried over to so many suspense-based horror horror-based games um, yeah, I think it's just a general um, writing technique from creative writing that um, is difficult to do 
when you are coming up with the plot and the characters and what they sound like and what your stats do all at, well, all at once. Um, and so it can be very helpful when it is put into the book like that. And it also gets to be, you know, fun for the writer. But Dennis very much focuses on the image when he is writing horror. Um, nothing is scary unless it activated one of your senses. And how does this do it? Um, but the the terror of impossible guys is a terror of uh, unknowability and, and it, it miscomprehension. Um, and so it's remarkable that you have all these, you know, just basically poems. Like, you're being constantly assaulted by poems through assault, impossible landscapes. Like, a goldfish that turns into gold in your hand without explanation and never mentioned again. Like, and your character just gets to ruminate on this <laughs> forever. Like, uh, yeah, that, that is, that, that's great. Like, and that's like something out of a, out of a poetry class. So, like, um, yeah, activating the senses. I think that's really how Dennis does it quite a bit. They're not, um, they're cerebral f for certain. There's metaphors in there, but they're not cerebral in the idea of like, you're trying to think about, well, if I watch it for seven days, but then turn it off and then like, you're not trying to figure out the mechanics of the monster. You're just like really focusing on like, that would be a creepy sound. Or I, I'm glad I don't actually smell that right now. Or like whatever sensory activation is going on. Yeah. Yeah, we did an episode on on horror and suspense RPGs. Myself and my previous my co-host, and and one of the elements of it, actually, I don't even know if it was horror suspense. It was just more or less a there is no reason or explanation, and that's just the way it is. Like if you're mm -hmm. trying to unravel what you are encountering, there isn't anything like. To explain the mythos in Lovecraft is is difficult, you know, right? It's it's experienced maybe, and so when I think role playing gamers, you know, oh, it's this. I got to figure it out. There's there's an answer to it, right? Or some way to overcome it. Um, I think that's a, a component of the horror suspense piece, like Cthulhu, and of course Delta Green, and maybe some others. Anything Cthulhu based, which is a little unique. Um, that I think some players may have a hard time overcoming maybe or experiencing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, there was also a component in impossible landscapes where I was talking about, Oh, was it intrinsic horror or, or cerebral horror? Surreal. Yes. Surreal. Surreal. Yes. Where it's like, Hey, your sibling passed away and died and you experienced them in a dream is one thing. Having them show up to a cafe after their death and sitting down like nothing happened, that's surreal horror. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and some of those components, when you read it, that's why I think it's fascinating to try to, because this genre, this piece, I think is such a, uh, having a good game master in this space, knowing some of these pieces can really like just knock out a horror RPG scenario like mm -hmm. nothing else, right? But it's hard to get all those in place and keep conscious of it, I think. Well, at least for me. Yeah, I don't think you can be the master of all of them simultaneously. So like I am as a person, I'm hyper, I'm high energy. I am an audience member. Anytime I'm running a game, I love cheering on the players. I love cheering on the investigators. That's just who I am. But some of the best horror games that I've played in are with GMs that can just stonewall it and they can modify their voice. And like, I got scared out of my mind running through the necropolis with a, uh, a GM from Australia who was doing like the sound effects of the monster and the snarling and the panting. And it was absolutely amazing for me. I am not able to get that off. So I lean on my other strengths um, to get the horror across to my player. The buy-ins are a really, really big one um, that I articulated before. Uh, agency is a huge thing. I hate narrating to my players. If they make an action or they're looking to do something, handing over the GM role to them, they can scare the hell out of themselves. I cannot tell you how many times I sat back and was like, you did that shit to yourself. <laughs> I gave you the camera for 30 seconds and you did all that on your own. All I, I That was all on you. Don't look at me. You did that to yourself and it was brilliant. Um, tell me how the corpse came out of the toilet at you. Yeah, go ahead and describe <laughs> that for me. And then the whole table is looking at him like, what the hell? That person is way more creative. That's better than what I would have come up with. 
let's remember that for next time. So uh, sharing the screen and the agency and the horror with, because it's supposed to be an experience. You know, it's, it's a horror game. You're experiencing the horror. Let your players drive for a second and see where they go. That's one of my favorite tactics. It's lazy, but boy, is it effective. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I am pretty good at, again, I'm not a master of all things horror, but I am really good at pacing. I'm not good at finishing on time. Let me correct that statement because somebody is going to listen to this podcast and be like, Bridget, you can't finish shit on time. I am good at least with pacing with the let's put on the gas, let's ease up, let's give them the illusion of feeling safe, and then let's smack them in the face with something. And my players love to run around that type of like, <gasps> Are we okay, okay, we can breathe. You can't breathe because you're, you know, in the ship's hold. The lights start flickering. You hear a screech, and a cabinet knocks over behind you. Well, god damn it! And then rocking out from there. So there are multiple ways to be sexy as a GM because you said it beautifully. The right keeper in horror, the right GM in horror, can do wonderful things, but they can't do them all simultaneously. And if they can, I just want to meet that person. As do I, Caleb. Right? Is that, Caleb, is that you? Maybe that's Caleb. Is it oh, Caleb? Cer- certainly not. Um, <laughs> I, I think you can try like multiple types of horror, but like again, just talk about. Well, it's probably it might not be session zero, but you do want to make sure your players are brought into it. But you shouldn't try and be every type of horror genre at once. Like I, I, I think just by mere panel composition, we're kind of focused on the cosmicism and Lovecraft area. But like, there's a bunch of other types of horror. Um, uh, I like Delta Green because it's kind of like the Kit Kat of it. Like everything leads to the mythos. So like you can usually go through a different genre and get there. Um, but at the same time, you shouldn't try and do a, a, a slasher fli- film kind of horror and then a psychological horror at the same time most nope. of the time. or Because, or, you know, it's going to get goofy. It's going to clash. And and you don't want that. So like when I run red markets, I do not spend any time describing how gross the zombies are. Like I, I'm like, yep, you shot him in the head, or you didn't, or it bit you, or and like I do the gross stuff. But like they'll get back, they'll be like, make a humanity check, and there's like, okay, well you know the kill triangle between the eyes and down to the lips where you'll hit the brain stem every time. Um, you keep looking on that at your son's nose, and you're like, why? He's not a zombie. He's like, well, he's shaped like a zombie. Everyone kind of is, and you can't really turn it off because you were over that wall and you took this much damage. So, like, look your son in the eye, and then you, like, roll humanity, and you're like, yeah, it kind of looks like you milk him in the eyes. Like, he, he kind of gets that you're not staring through him. He's a little creeped out, but... And then he's just, like, f***ed up and, like, looking at... But, like, my horror was never, like, Tom Savini... My horror was like Fenimore Cooper and like an American tragedy. <laughs> like just you come back, you know, broken from that. Like and but I'm never shooting for like all at once. Like I'm right. never there's not a guy in the background doing full Dawn of the Dead choke on it while that scene's going on. <laughs> right. You can't do splatterpunk at the same time. Like uh so I, I think you just gotta pick your spot and and shoot for it. Yeah. I know this is a podcast and I know you guys can't see us. We're recording with cameras on. But while Caleb was doing that description, if you could have seen Sean's face, <laughs> Sean was like, oh, God. Oh, God. No. Why? Why his son? <laughs> Brid- awesome. Bridget wasn't any do better. Anything. Don't let her fool you. He just kind of stares at the middle of his nose for some reason. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not bullshitting. I was freaking out, too. Like, I was, like, biting the edge of my thumbnails. Like, that's, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, is he going to? What? Is there a? Ah! Yeah. I mean, that's another thing with agency, though. Like, uh, some people are not okay with you describing their character's perceptions of something. Oh, speak. Yes. As a horror person, I kind of have to do that, like, because I'm not physically attacking you at the table. I'm I'm attacking the character. So, like, I kind of have to describe that kind of... Uh, I am of the opinion that you, you're I, certainly is true for me. I don't get to control my perceptions. I see what I see. Right. I get to control how I freak out about it or, or don't freak out about it. Um, and if there's a mechanic for that, they roll for it or not. It's just like, yeah, you just feel that way. You don't do anything. It's just a thought. But it's a thought that's there still. Yeah. Um, and that's that's also a tool that a lot of people neglect because they're like, well, I'm taking control of your character. It's like, well, I didn't make you do anything. I just said that that's a thing your character thought of. Like, just like I said, your character sees the grass as green. Like, it's the same thing. <laughs> um, so that that's another thing you can do to sort of steer uh, suspense in a certain direction, being like, well, you perceive it as this. You know it can't be that, or that's an intrusive thought, or that's bad. Um, but for and your initial impression is this, yeah. 
one of the things we had mentioned with um with Bond specifically and Delta Green, and it's one of my favorites, so I probably lean a little heavy on that one. But one of the things I think with Delta Green is the the humanity piece of it is kind of you wear at the humanity of the agents is usually what is is kind of the theme, at least from my perspective. It's them trying to save the keep the world safe, but at the risk of their own kind of soul, so to speak, right? Yeah. So it's a weird, you know, even horror might be kind of a stretch as somebody compared to like cult the RPG yeah. or right. Um but still nonetheless it's a it's a vulnerable RPG uh or that shows vulnerability and and I think with player characters having to face that that's always that's always a challenge. Do you guys I know a lot of people tend to as a I think it's kind of a defense mechanism is they make light of some of those things when things get awkward. Mm. Right. And horror and suspense can create awkward moments. Maybe not awkward as in, you know, I had a dream where I went to school in my underwear awkward. It's awkward that they're the horror piece. Right. And, you know, how do you as a game master wrangle reel that in? Can you if there's a player or two that are trying to make light of the situation and even in some horror movies, you know, there's a quip here and there, mm-hmm. but it still gets kind of like, for lack of better words, r- real. So I'll jump in quickly and say there's balance in all things. Horror is uncomfortable. And by human nature, as Caleb said earlier, we're humans. We are going to naturally gravitate towards pleasure and we are going to try to resist or flee from pain. Uh, so we're approaching things in horror that make us the players or the invest or the characters. It doesn't matter. Uh, uncomfortable. Sometimes people default to comedy just to alleviate some of that stress. Sometimes they default to comedy because they're not fully bought in or they're not fully into the immersion or they don't care or they just don't know what to do with the unknown information. It's like, ah, um, so I think, I think on the front end, uh, laying down an expectation is very helpful. Hey guys, it's going to be a very immersion game. If we can keep the uh, phones aside from emergencies down, if we can try to buy in, uh, is a good way to set the expectation. I do something called temperature checks every time I go on a break and the players come back. Um, I do a temperature check. Like, all right, guys, is everyone getting enough spotlight? Is the tension strong enough? Am I up the pacing? Is everything okay? Everyone having a good time? Is there anything I need to be doing differently? Because at the end of the day, as a GM, we're providing a service. It's a collective narrative story, but especially in horror, we're providing a service. And if they're not having fun being horrified, um, there's some things that we can adjust. Disruptive players, I mean, let's be honest, guys, we've all had them. Disruptive players, regardless of the system, the setting, are just people you need to talk to. And they either need to get the boot in or they need to have a conversation like, hey, babe, what's really going on, babe? You okay? Because the last two sessions, we're really trying to dive into the mask denier lathotep, and we're all doing this, and you're over here having the time of your life. Is this not your genre? Is this not your game? Is it me? Is it the person sitting next to you? What do we need to do? Because you're messing up the vibe and it's just you. So there's a spectrum of things that can kind of, you know, tie into the people not losing sight of the horror, but doing the the goofy stuff or the silly stuff. Sometimes it's just as simple as alleviating stress. Like, whoo, I'm a big fan for me when I'm stressed out in games, which I love. Um, I'm a big fan of using chats online to make funny quips or gifts. That way I'm not disrupting the GM. That way I'm not disrupting the story, but I can get that off my chest and be like, oh, oh God, that, that, that Ralph meme where he's like sitting on the bus going, I'm in danger is exactly how I feel right now. <laughs> as this xenomorph is prowling around. I just needed to get that off, but it's not disruptive to the game. So that's a tool you guys can use in the event that you're worried that you're that person or GMs, you can, you know, instruct your players like, Hey, here's an option. If you need to get that off, get it off. Not while we're describing the scene. Um, yeah, I'm in a little bit of a different situation uh, because I record all my games, um, and that is uh, probably a more common occurrence than it was when I first started doing it, and it will probably be a more common occurrence by the time this is posted, first when they <laughs> say it, uh, the way APs are going. So, like, one thing I have said is that, like, if your players are not going to freak out under the realization that they are performing is say that, like, well, we're going to keep this one darker and more serious because that's what this game is about. And 
anything else I just kind of have to cut around and that's kind of a dick move because this takes a long time um, so like don't do comedy Hamlet tonight uh, because people bought tickets to Hamlet <laughs> like um, so that helps me a lot um, but at the same time um, the people I've been playing with we've been playing together a lot and like I, I will say this it's easier to make that ask if you don't make that ask every time like, hey, remember that time I wrote a 500-page game about economic despair and you named all your characters after Fraggle Rock and I said nothing? Well, I get one this time. Like, this you, get turn, to, you get to tamp it down today because I let you do that. Um, that yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> so this, Great coaching point this there, time you get to, to ask to ask for the favor. Like, by right. the way, I'm putting my Listen. foot down now. <laughs> I suffered through Fraggle Rock. Y'all gonna buy into this goddamn game. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh my God, that is hilarious. That is amazing. Great coaching point, though, on the AP, too, because there is some additional accountability that comes on when you're pro you're providing a service for someone that's not you. Yeah. It's not your own just personal entertainment. People are actually buying, they're committing their time, their money um, to actually support you. Great, great accountability coaching there. Yeah. What about doing things um, that you can maybe uh, set the tone outside of the game, dim the lights, slowly speaking, and the, and the, having that change. Um, some costume, you know, some some do cosplay in that regard. Um, success more than it's you know more than it's worth. I, I think it's fantastic if it works, but again, I, I'm a freak because I record everything I do. Fair. So there's the tools that everyone has available, like music mm -hmm. and and things of like that nature to set the tone, um, are are normally beyond me from from a technical standpoint. Um, that said, I mean I'm certainly listening to creepy music when I write the stuff. So I, oh. if you can listen to it while you're playing, you you should. Um, Caleb, but, you just need a sound engineer, man, when you're streaming. I well, yeah. Press the button when it's right. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I need four or five more Patreons so I can hire a sound engineer to do that. Give me a call. New stretch goal. Let me know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As far as uh, ambience and things that kind of help add uh, a little bit of razzle dazzle, some flair to your games, uh, I'm going to list off three that really still stick out to me after you know a decade or so of gaming. Uh, there was an organization that used to uh, run games all through Northeast Ohio uh, called Rogue Cthulhu. Uh, especially at Origins, and they would take over a whole pod upstairs. They would turn off all the lights. Uh, they would turn on black lights. Uh, they would have creepy music playing at a volume that was like uh, sustainable, where people could still hear. It was accessible; you could hear each other. But you would have that, you know, that creepy music going underneath. Uh, and all the tables had like blood red sheets on it. Second, you walked into the room, you're like, "Oh yeah, I'm getting ready to play some horror." <laughs> Ambient on fleek. Uh, I was watching a cult stream and. Lord, if I can remember who did it, I'll post it in your like the comments when this thing posts. But the GM was describing uh, a situation in a bar uh, where a bartender like smacked the hell out of some guy and he pushed her back and um, he or she pushed him back and he broke his hand on a bottle. And the GM's hand went off the screen. And when he came back, he had blood running down his hand. Oh, just wow. a little bit. But he just and he role played and described this whole scene with like ketchup or red water or whatever the people use to make fake blood anyways through the whole thing i was just like i was staring at his hand the whole time I was like this dude really has blood on his hand right now <laughs> over this this pc pushing him in a bar and the third one that sticks out to me little minor things can go such a long way with immersion uh, i was playing with a girlfriend who was playing one of those very uh narcissistic studios you know chest up i'm smarter than you characters and she kept pulling out a fake pair of glasses and a handkerchief that she would wave around as she was playing. And it was just one of those things just like, that's, that's so that character, those little things can go a very long way. <laughs> nice. That, that hand. Oh man, that's. Oh, I tried to get you this link. This dude started bleeding on camera, honey. I was like, uh, is that blood? Caleb, that I'm looking for that one in the next stream, man. <laughs> just um, saying. I played a, panda crime boss one time and ate pretzel sticks to try and simulate the sound of bamboo but then my mouth got really dry and i choked so it didn't right it didn't really it didn't really have the effect i was going for 
So then I stopped doing Foley for. And that was the end of the pretzel for, eating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't Between make the pretzel this up. eating and Fraggle Rock. <laughs> a panda eating pretzels to make it sound like he was eating bamboo. Well, yeah, I didn't Genius. have any on me. Um, awesome. All right. Um. So some horror games that are out there that people aren't aware of. We've hit a few of the, I don't know if they're big ones, but I guess it depends on what circles you run in. And we mentioned some of the smaller ones, like well, small ones. Dread still, I think it's a lot of buzz and a lot, people know it, right? It's the Jenga Tower yeah. game, right? It's a Jenga Tower game, yeah. yeah. Um, Ten Candles. Have you guys played Ten Candles? I've watched it, but I have yet to play it in person. Caleb's Damn nodded. It. Yes, he has played. Uh, I have seen a playthrough that friends were doing. I did, I did not get to play it myself. Okay, yeah. I just walked into a house and it was very dark, and I got confused <laughs> for a moment. But then I realized they were playing that game, and I watched. Did you get um, Did you get there at the end, and there was only one candle? No, no, it was very, very. I thought the power had gone out. It was, it was much, <laughs> much more normal. Um. Other games, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Other games other than, or or say some of the, the good ones that are out there that if somebody wanted to dip their toe into to horror, I know there's different kinds, but nonetheless, what uh, which ones would you steer them towards, Bridget? Oh, I kind of already came out swinging with my personal favorites, which are your Call of Cthulhu, Alien the RPG, Dread, Cthulhu Dark, the Cult. Those are usually where I navigate and I have a really good time. Um, I think... I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna take your question and split it in two because why the hell not? Uh, if you're looking to first start getting into horror, I think you're in really good shape with doing Cthulhu Dark. Uh, Graham Walsley, uh, Walmsley does a phenomenal job of outlining how to build tension. He has a whole chapter on some very common mythos creatures. If you're not familiar with H.P. Lovecraft's work, or you are, or Chambers and all that fun stuff, and it's very rules light. It's a 3D6. Um, you're in and out pretty fast, depending on how you're playing. Um, Cthulhu Dark can be kind of rough for sustainability for campaign play, so it's great for a one-shot. Um, so I would recommend anybody who's starting um, horror to check out either Cthulhu Dark or Call of Cthulhu. Those would be my two there. Um, this is a system that I am not particularly a fan of, but I know it is very popular, and if this is your brand of horror, go for it. Uh, do you guys play Bluebeard's Bright? I have not. Uh, I have not played it, but I've I've read it. Yeah, I have. I have. I have not read it or played it, but no, or of played it. it. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful book. She put her whole foot into this. I mean, it's just beautifully laid out. It's beautifully decorated. Uh, the mechanics are how far can we push feminine horror in a dungeon crawl motif? So you kick down the door and something really terrible happens. You are either getting raped or sexually assaulted. You kick down the door next time, you are being berated for the fact that your hair isn't long enough or your skin isn't pretty enough. Next door, you kick it down. I mean, it's literally female trauma again and again Oof. and again and again. And at the uh, end, you make a decision. Which is why I have never played Bluebeard's Bride. Ooh, <laughs> honey, I've... it's a whole lot. And I, I respect the creator. I love the aesthetics of the book, um, but I'm entitled to my opinions, and that's just not a system that I enjoy. But if you are on the edgier or the more feminine horror exploration of horror, that's that's an option for you. Bluebeard Beard is out there, but I would read it. And let me tell you, baby, get your safety tools ready because you are going to need them. Yeah, I didn't think it was that edgy. I, I mean, I didn't know that that it contained some of those themes. That's the uh, that would be too heavy for this guy for sure. Unapologetic. And yeah. it's literally dungeon crawl mode. You kick down the door. Bluebeard, you're walking through Bluebeard's castle. You open the door and you confront his dead wife. And this one died because she couldn't produce a male. And now she's in like this weird abortion time loop. It's it's a whole lot. But you have options when it comes to horror. Again, it's not one 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 size fits all. Fair. Yeah. No kidding. Caleb. Uh, other than the big stuff, uh, I was yeah I was gonna say Mothership, but they're huge now. Uh, Mothership is amazing. Um, Morkborg is great. Cyborg is great again, but they're huge now. Uh, smaller <laughs> games I've really liked that do horror well is Dead Friend. Uh, it's a game of necromancy. You play a necromancer calling back the ghost of your dead friend. It's a two-player game. Oh, uh, you have to actually do the rituals as the mechanic. So you're like moving candles and sigils and stuff like that. That that is really well written, and it's a good uh, two-player indie experience. Um, I very much like slasher flick as an indie mm -hmm. game. Uh, when I don't want to do tone at all, and I want to have a fun <laughs> horror game, slasher flick is 
you know, f- getting a sheet of four teenagers and feeding them to something in uh, increasingly improbable ways is <laughs> always a good time. Um, so that that's very good. And then there's a lot of older games uh, that I, I quite like, like um, uh, Robin D. Laws' Book of Unremitting Horror, I think is one of the better splat books of horror that's ever been put out. Um, I also very much like the Book of Rooms from Bluebeard's Bride, just the the sheer, you know, unremittingness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Nemesis, I think, is a great system by Greg Stolze. The, that is the horror version of the One Roll engine uh, that does wild talents and uh, a dirty world and stuff like that. And I think that's still free online. So... Um, but yeah, there, there's there's always all all these good ones out there. Uh, they're just getting m- more popular than I can keep up with. Uh, so by the time I'm just like, have you heard of this little thing? It's like the guy who just like thinks craft beer is Blue Moon. Like I like, <laughs> like yeah, we heard of that thing years ago. Yeah, um, we at GM Mastermind do not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do, yeah. Disclaimer alert. <laughs> yeah. We we find Blue Moon just a fine beer. <laughs> So one of our sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> Great list there. There were a handful that I haven't played or read. Uh, I have to make note of this on the re-listen. Yeah, I haven't played Dead Friend. I haven't got a friend that wants to do <laughs> spells with me yet. Bring back but Satanic Panic, day. I say. One day. Right? Yeah. We've kind of hashed over a few things, and I've kind of um, rambled a little bit in, in a little bit of a circle, but so I'm a game master. I haven't done horror before or suspense. And I, I maybe I have, but I'm still trying to find my my stride a little bit. And I'm mm-hmm. still kind of getting hung up on a couple things. What are two things that you would give them as, a, as advice in order to kind of maybe brush the things up or if, if they delve into a, a game uh, for the first time? Um. Well, don't take it too seriously. That would be my first case. You you won't be good uh, if if you do that. And if if you're not too serious about it, and you're still playing a game with your friends, and even if it sucks, it's still probably going to be fun. Uh, so first off, remember that. Um, secondly, if you're more concerned about like the horror being impactful, I would use my basic advice for writing it, which is uh, think like a squid. Um, if it scares you, you got to throw ink at it. The, the thing you don't want to write about the thing you're avoiding writing about, that's the thing you should write about. Like you, you're, the goal is to write about something unpleasant. You can metaphorically layer it. You probably should if there's like monsters and you want people to be afraid of something other than just your anxiety. Um, but once you do that, you, you got to write about the thing that's uncomfortable to you. Uh, it can be veiled. It can be that, but that'll be the thing that gets you, um, neurotically imagining what it looks like and what it sounds like and what it smells like. And then that will be the thing that allows you to get that feeling to other people. Um, and if you're just like, well, what's scary, a big guy with a machete, yeah, he's in there. Uh, that's not going to work as well as the other way. So that would be my advice. I like those. I like those a lot, actually. Um, I think I'm going to take a fluffy approach. Uh, one, jamming as a rule, you evolve, you grow, and you get better over time. I don't care what system you're using. Also, your or what genre you're even playing in. Also, your palette and your strength and your weaknesses are going to come out, grow, and evolve as you as you continue to. So, uh, start from where you are and just be happy with where you are. And the more you practice, the more you do it, the more you solicit feedback from others, the more you can watch the expression on your player's face, the more you can feel energized by the things you're doing. You'll find your strides, but don't come out expecting to knock it out of the park. Start from where you are and slowly move and be very hyper aware of how you're doing, how people are responding to you as you go. Because you will eventually get, maybe not always where you want to be, but you will always be better than where you started. Uh, the second thing, be lazy as shit. Listen, we already we already accomplished or we already established the fact that you can't be all things in horror. If you're doing a slasher fix, go, go imitate Friday the 13th. Everyone knows the dude with the mask is going to slash up some teenagers. Go play that. There is nothing wrong with it. It's not cliche. People still enjoy it. People, you're still watching that movie today. So don't tell me you're not going to have a good time playing it in a role-playing game. Um, if Event Horizon is what you're going for, go do Event Horizon. If Alien is your game, literally run them through the Nostromo. You don't have to be this engineer of new creative horror. 
really amazing source material already exists. And it is 1,000% okay to start exactly there. Or just move it like all those did. Like Haunted House in space. In space. Uh, yeah, like that yep. is the premise. Just, just like here's this horribly ripped off movie plot, but it never took place at a skating rink before. Oh. Like, and then you're, and then it sounds kind of original enough to get. You <laughs> yeah, it rounds off to new. Your players won't know. You'll know, but your players won't know. It'll be fine. And that one clever one, like give them a bonus die or something for calling mm-hmm. you out. <laughs> now, whenever I watch Caleb's live streams, I'll be like, wait a minute, wait, is that that's wait. That's the plot. My Little Pony. Yeah, just just move to that, and when you're done. That's the plot. He moved it to a skating rink. I know that. (laughs) Called it. The jig is up. I know the deal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness! All right, so we'll wrap this up. Bridget, thank you for joining. Caleb, thank you for joining. Much appreciated. We'll have links to everywhere you can find these two on the internet and the projects that that they'll be working on in the show notes. Please check them out. Please go and listen to their shows, Miskatonic University. Watch Caleb's live streams, buy his products, and check out Symphony Entertainment um, from Bridget. Some of those plugs. We'll have a whole list down below. So thanks for joining us at GM Mastermind and be a positive force in the tabletop RPG hobby. Thanks, all. This episode of GM Mastermind, produced with help from the following members of the mind. Feeling Good Lewis, Eric Avia, Crystal Eggstead, Remy Bellado, Michael O'Holland, Jason Hobbs, Phil McClory, Eric Salzweedle, Yorkus Rex, John Mahoney, Larry Hout, Craig Shipman, Old School DM, Ghost GM, Ron Bishop, Wayne Peacock, Aaron Ralea, Matthew Helsby, Laramie Wall, Farty McButterpants, Harrigan, Oos Carl, Larry Hollis, Pula Sugar, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Merkel Froelich, Zagrave, and Joe Swick. Hey, let somebody know about the podcast. Tell them to subscribe or listen to an episode. That little referral goes a long way. And thanks for being members of The Mind.